All right, welcome to today's episode of the A Game Podcast. We have a great guest, Adam Whitney. Just spent a couple of days with him at a, uh, a conference out here and uh, got to meet him face to face, and it was awesome. There's some people that uh, the second you meet him, they just have great energy, and he was definitely that guy. Um, you know, I kind of interrupted this conversation when he was talking to somebody else and just uh, gave him a big hug, and we met up and had a drink and uh, talked a little bit and caught up a little bit, and he did some speaking at the event. He was outstanding. Uh, guy's just a real estate stud and a good dude, so that always... It always helps. So I'm really glad that I got to uh, to meet him. It's always cool when I get to meet some guests that I haven't um, in person, which, you know, since COVID, some of the people that have been coming on, I hadn't necessarily met before. So this was cool. And I also got to hang out a little bit with David Perret, former guest who is absolutely killing it on the real estate side, the real estate social media side, on the, the mastermind side. That guy's doing huge things too. And those guys are friends. So it is no coincidence that they are both killing it and both excellent at what they do and both really solid guys and really solid guests. So I really enjoyed uh, hanging out a little bit and getting to know Adam and getting to talk a little bit with David Perret, who was just such a good dude, really funny, just awesome. So um, I like getting out there. It's, it's been a while. So it was nice to go out and meet some good people and uh, do some good networking, which is way overdue. So thank you very much, Adam, for coming on. It was awesome to meet you. And I really appreciated this episode. I thought he absolutely killed it. We're trying to take a more of an intentional approach in some of these episodes to get you guys who are a little bit new, some of the, the details and some of the steps that may not make sense in passing. So trying to really dig down into some deals from now on with a lot of these guests and figuring out how they found these deals, what some things went right, some things went wrong, you know, things with the rehab. And I think you heard a little bit of that. You'll hear from Austin Rutherford when that one comes out and, you know, Adam. So for some of you guys who are looking for a little bit more detail, there's going to be some great details on some of these deals as we come across, but you need a little bit of everything. So we'll mix it up. But I thought Adam gave great content and really good tips and tactics that you could take away and you can use today for your real estate business. So I appreciate it. And as always, this is sponsored by Nationwide Business Capital Group. So if you would like to borrow money for your real estate deals, go check out nicknick.com slash links and look under affiliates and you'll be able to see how to borrow money for your real estate deals directly from Marianne. Just tell her the A-Game podcast sent you over and you will get the red carpet treatment laid out for you, whether you're new, experienced, or advanced, good credit, bad credit, whatever it may be. If you are looking just to find out what you qualify for and how you get started, give her a call. She doesn't buy it. She'll take care of you. And you're for already experienced and you're looking for competitive rates and terms, definitely reach out to Marianne and see what she can do for you for your residential, your fix and flips, your bridge loans, your rentals, your commercials, whatever it may be. Contact them and tell them the A-Game podcast sent you over. Then contact me on any of those social media nicknick.com slash links please subscribe to the show through that and please follow us on all social media and feel free to message me directly to figure out how we can do some real estate deals together whether you want to buy properties from me you want to sell properties to me or you just want to uh, find a way that we can partner up on some real estate or figure out where you get started or what you should be doing let's definitely start to get that conversation and figure it out so i can supply the deals mary i can supply the money and we can figure it out from there or go in a million different directions so really excited to meet everybody to work with you guys and to get this taken up taken off a little bit for you all for the end of 2021 and beginning of 2022 so uh that is all i got right now but please listen to this episode and feel free to reach out if you'd like to be a guest on this podcast or would like me to be a guest on yours email me podcast at nicknicknick.com and we got some exciting things coming up and don't forget if you would like your free checklist on how to bring more values to your buyers make sure you go to nicknicknick.com slash bigger pockets to get a free checklist on how to bring more value to your buyers as a real estate agent broker or wholesaler
check it out. So I appreciate it. I thought this again was an outstanding episode with Adam Whitney. So you definitely don't want to miss this one, especially if you're into real estate or entrepreneurship or just respect the military, you will see how um, he does things as far as finding deals, keeping track of his KPIs, of his metrics, what he's expecting on his direct mail, what kind of lists he goes after, how he finds ways to cut costs on his marketing. So he's not just blowing in on leads he doesn't want, ways he keeps track of his team, ways he communicates with his team, who's on his team, what kind of money should be made, what kind of returns you should be having. Really, really, really good stuff. So it's awesome. And uh, just good leadership stuff, good mindset stuff, and a great interview. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, Adam. A-Game Podcast. Have a great day, everybody. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna. Digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-game. All right, welcome to the A-Game Podcast. My guest today is the CEO of Blackjack Real Estate. He is a battle-tested, active-duty United States Marine. Joined the infantry in 2004 and now has taken the real estate industry by a storm and is doing rentals, is doing syndications, is doing mobile home parks. He leads a team and does between 150 to 200 deals a year. He is on track to make a million in gross profit. He is a marketing master, a leader, a father, a great man, and I'm looking forward to meeting him next week. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast, Adam Whitney. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Super excited to be here, my friend. I'm really excited to talk to you, man. You, um, One of the things that stuck out is that we're in a couple of groups together, and I had written some, some questions, and some other people had some stuff, and the answers you were giving were so solid and so direct and so helpful, and I was like, man, this guy's out there like kicking butt, doing stuff, and I think we were messaging back and forth on something. I had totally mis misread the question that you posted on there, but I thought it was really awesome that you're out there and you're so successful and you were still taking the time to go and answer people's questions and help people. And I was like, this is my kind of guy. And then found out that we knew some similar people, man. So since then, I've definitely been following you and I've been really excited to get you on. Talk a little bit and tend to meet you next week at Flip Hacking Live. So um, we'll dig into a lot of that different stuff, but just for people that aren't 100% familiar with you yet, can you give a little bit of your backstory on uh, who you are, where you came from, and how you got into real estate? Yeah, I mean, I was I was uh, just a, a normal kid and in kind of the Detroit suburbs growing up and, and decided to enlist in the Marine Corps, lack of options in my life at that time. And uh, it really just changed everything for me. It, it gave me a, a set of core values that's allowed me to kind of move forward all the time in my life with whatever I do. I, I got, I've, I've always kind of like been interested in real estate. Like many people, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, one summer I was traveling across from coast to coast in 2008. And uh, I was busy at that time though. I was, still, I was still doing deployments to Iraq. I was still doing some other stuff. And it wasn't really until 2017 that I jumped in and uh, started buying properties and investing in real estate. So I kind of started in the rental property space and I, I, I cleaned up my personal finances. We were in a really good position of advantage. I invested in some syndications as a limited partner. I had some joint ventures on some apartments um, that fortunately fell apart in due diligence. Um, so I've, I've touched a little bit of everything. And then last year, I, there was, 
I just kind of realized two things about real estate. Number one uh, thing to be successful is you got to find off-market discounted properties. And I didn't have marketing skills, so I had to go get them. And then number two is you got to be able to raise private capital. So that kind of led me to wholesaling and flipping. And I know it's very transactional and it's just a piece of uh, revenue generating things, but I really love marketing. I really love sales. And I jumped in last year and, and got an opportunity to take over Blackjack as the CEO uh, and, and co-owner with Bill Allen. And we are moving. Our team is moving. That's outstanding, man. You touched on a lot of interesting things there. One of them being, I, I know, and I, I've listened to you on some other podcasts and I've done some research on you. And I think you said it, it, it took like around 10 years to actually pull the trigger on your first deal after you started getting interested in it. And I find that that's, that's still great because, you know, from doing educational stuff, there's people, we used to call them repeat offenders. I mean, for years, every time we'd hit a city, they'd come back, oh, you know, next time you come into town, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to buy a deal. I'm going to do something. And they just never do. And, you know, for me personally, it was somebody teaching me something that made me feel like it was still risky, but the deal that came across that I pulled the trigger on for my first deal, it was a smaller one. So for me having like no money, no credit, no experience, I was like, this is still scary, but it's not so scary that I feel like I won't do it. Cause I feel like if I mess this one up, it's not going to kill me. It's, you know, I won't make a ton, but I'm going to learn and I won't lose a ton. And it kind of just gave me that confidence to dip my toe in. And then, you know, the floodgates open from there. What was the thing that happened with you that was the difference between you being somebody who was just learning about it or going to research about it to actually pulling the trigger and doing your first deal? Yeah, I would say that that kind of 10 year gap, I was I was really busy with um, kind of trying to do as well as I could in the Marine Corps. And eventually 2017, I let me just say this, like mindset wise, right? In, in the military, we, we have a moniker like a 70% solution executed violently today is better than a perfect solution executed, you know, at 100% tomorrow, right? So the, the, what we're really saying is take action, right? So I finally got to take a deep breath in 2017, and I didn't do anything crazy. I bought a primary residence that I knew I would move out of in a really safe space south of uh, DC. So I know like it's a great market and I knew it would rent and at least break even, but that just doing that one transaction, going through all of the things, it just gave me confidence. So I'm like, okay, this is super easy. I can do like a hundred of these. No problem. Let's go. Nice, man. That's awesome. I want to say, you know, of, of all the different people I have on my show, athletes, military guys, I'd say even actors and comedians, because they're so used to rejection and like that engineer type are the ones that truly excel in this business. And I'm always interested to see what is it that's in that person that maybe is it something that that person has in them that they're driven to those types of occupations or vice versa that makes them come on and kill it in real estate. But there's the same disciplines and the same principles that they go through, whether taught or learned from the experience that really translate well into business. What are some things for you personally from the military that have taught you that you've ingrained that you've carried over to business that you think have been key to your success. And the follow-up to that is, I really just want to say thank you for your service. I'll tell you some of the most amazing people I've met in my life, including a shout out to one of my best friends, Johnny Eubanks, um, Marine, you know, they're just, they're a different breed. They're a different kind of guy. They're always good dudes, fun to go drink with, always like loyal dogs by your side. And uh, I have a lot of respect for military and for the Marine Corps. So thank you very much for your service. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an absolute honor, Nick. I, I would say it's a couple things. Uh, one thing is when you're in the military, I think the real bottom line is you do hard shit, right? You do hard stuff. That's kind of it. And that, what that does for you, though, is that just shows you the mental limitations you put on yourself because you might go out and do something really challenging physically, something that most people would go, that's crazy. But you do it. And don't get me wrong, it sucks. <laughs> and that's what you realize is hard things are hard, but you're capable of doing them. So then your your kind of ceiling, your mental limit, limitations start to expand, right? And you, you know, hey, if I can do this really hard thing, I can pretty much do anything, no matter how bad it sucks, okay? And then I'd say the second part of that is you, you juxtapose that mindset with uh, what the military across all services really puts in place, and it's a framework for discipline. It's getting up and executing every single day, regardless of circumstances and environment. So, and, and that's hard, right? It's, it's especially hard if you're not being forced to do it, and you have to have self-discipline, which is a, a whole nother level of discipline, uh, because we'll lie to ourselves. Our, our ego will lie to ourselves all day long. We we come up with the best excuses to ourselves to not do something. And they're good ones too. Ah, you know, I worked real hard yesterday. I'm not going to get up and work out today. I'm kind of sore, but you know, that's BS, man. Get up and execute. I absolutely love that. And I could not agree with you more. And I definitely wanted to jump more into that. And even talking about some of the stuff you're doing with, you know, we're, we're going to meet at Flip Hacking Live next week, but the people that are around you, I feel like no matter what it is, whether it's sports, military, or business, the teams make all the difference and the peers and mindset and is one of those things that regardless if I go to a room where it's a bunch of new people or it's like, you know, you're reading the book of David Goggins, obviously the guy's not running a hundred plus mile race because it's just physical. Like that mental part becomes such a thing. And I find that newer people try and downplay the importance of mindset. They're rolling their eyes. They don't want to hear it. But the more successful people I, I talk to or the people that have like legitimate life and death jobs, the military especially is a good example of it. But that mindset of just pushing you and keeping you for that goal is something that I feel like carries across to the most successful and the most strong people that I've met in my life. But people don't want to hear about it. What was something with you? Like, what are some mindset stuff that you do to tell yourself, especially like when things are getting hard or you're about to take on a mission or, or a deal starts to go south? Like, what do you do to tell yourself to keep you positive, to keep you in that zone? Yeah, I think, I, I think for me personally, what, what keeps me driving forward is um, I have such an insatiable desire to win. Like, I just want to win so bad. So I see, you know, like, okay, hey, we send out marketing, right? And we're like, we, we, we send out this cash. We hope it comes back times three. You know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But maybe your marketing's not as effective as it was the last month and you're not getting deals and you're spending money and you're, you're concerned. And, and for me, it's just, okay, that's part of the process. Let's look at it. Let's figure out why this deal went south. Let's figure out why this marketing's not working. Is it, is it you know, I always start with myself. Am I leading well? Am I providing clear guidance and a vision for the team? Then I look at our, our functions and our actions. Are we, are we executing the things per our process? Is it all happening right? Okay, is it something with somebody on our team? Is somebody not holding up their end of the bargain? Because as you know, in this industry, 
Um, it's a team sport and it legitimately takes, uh, I made a post about this yesterday, but you know, I need my acquisitions guys to close deals. They need me to make sure the marketing's coming and getting them leads. We need disposition to sell deals. Like if any one person on the team isn't executing on their function, like it's not going to work. So, you know, for me, that's, I, you know, to answer your question directly, it's, I just want to win, man. I just want to win so bad. And uh, I want the people on my team to win too. I love that. And that was kind of my follow-up there when I was talking about teams is how much have you learned about being responsible for the people around you? Because to me, you know, again, you talk about self-accountability and I definitely have struggled with when it's all on me, I'm okay. But when it only affects me, sometimes I'm kind of like, you know, that, that self-sabotage kicks in or something or, or whatever kind of weird things I have in my life that, that makes me just kind of want to sit on the couch and want Netflix. But once I realize I'm responsible for, hey, there's other people that are relying on me or I borrowed somebody's private money or my business partner needs me to get this deal done, just like fighting, you know what I mean? Like I remember when I lost my first MMA fight, I felt terrible, not because I, I mean, I didn't get beat up or anything like that. None of that was a problem. But immediately I felt like I let the people down that were my coaches and training partners to help me get through that. When you start to feel that connection, that accountability to other people, it's amazing how much harder you work and how, how much you'll push through on the days that you don't want to go to the gym or you don't want to pick up the phone. And I imagine learning that on such a different level through the military has again made you a great leader. So I am I I'm always interested to see the things that you've learned about that work well for you or some of the mistakes you made as a leader training a team like that because it's something that I think a lot of people that are looking to scale up, oh, I want to hire a team, I want to get an assistant. And they don't realize that it actually takes a lot of work initially to have that look effortless down the line. Yeah, I, I, there's a couple things on that. That's a, like, this is a really great route to go down. Um, number one, if you're running a company or leading a team, you're in that position for a reason, right? Your team is not you. So you have to be careful with your expectations, right? If you think, because a guy like you, Nick, you're going to, if we, if I said, we got to go do this thing, you handle this part of it. That's probably good enough guidance and expectations for you. Cause you're going to go figure it out and you're going to execute aggressively and it's going to be fantastic. But your teammates may not, they may not have that same kind of figure it out mentality that you have. So from a leadership perspective, you have to hold yourself accountable to providing a clear guidance and path to those team members. They need to understand what you're asking them to do. And for guys who are entrepreneurs like us, uh, oftentimes we're not great with details, right? <laughs> We're just like doing it and we're figuring it out. A lot of the CEOs and visionaries and even some of the integrators I see are that way. And to include me, I'm, I'm not great with details. So I have to like really slow down and go, okay, what are the next four steps that I need executed here? Let me make sure that that's very clear to the team. Like we're going to do this. 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 Right. And then we're going to, our job is to then clear obstacles and make sure that they have that clear path to go down. Right. So that's, that's, a, that's a really big point from it and from a leadership perspective. The other thing I would tell you, and you know, I, I had a really great opportunity to command a company of 205, um, 205 Marines. And when you genuinely care about people and their success, because uh, you, you, you have that burden, right? Like you owe these, you're their leader. You owe these guys everything you have. That's at least the way I look at it. Um, but you have to genuinely care about them. You got to genuinely want them to win. And if you don't, if it's just about the green for you, 
it's going to be a real challenge. You're going to have a lot of turnover. Um, you know, you're going to have, you're going to be frustrated, right? So for me, it's not like, hey, my teammate didn't do this well. I immediately go, okay, I didn't give them enough. Like I'm not giving enough, right? So what do I got to give them? And then there does become a point from an accountability perspective where you go, okay, I've given this person everything, all the clarity they could possibly need. And they're just not a culture fit for this team. And we had to let somebody go recently. And what I told them, I said, and I told the team this, I said, it's not fair to you guys on this team to keep that person with us because they're not holding up there into the bargain. You guys are A players and you deserve better. And we replaced them with an A player. Man, I love so much of that. And the accountability I think is the biggest characteristic of leadership that I immediately look for in people that it's, it really, I mean, I, I spotted a million miles away now when you try to have a discussion with somebody about, Hey, you know, and you're not even pointing the finger. You're just trying to discuss what's happening and they're cutting you. Well, he did this and they did that. And I wasn't. And it's like, okay, like I just let them go. And I'm like, this is obviously not going to be a good fit because of exactly that, you know, and as a leader, I think it's such a great practice to look at it and say, even whatever that person did, what you just said, I think is so important about like, what did I, what was my part in that? You know, they messed up. Maybe I didn't give the best directions. And that's, I think what separates you is people look to, to point blame versus fix the problem. Cause that's really what it comes down to is how can I do this better? And when you start to do that, it really trickles down. And I think then people are, are more comfortable coming to you with problems and with questions. And then it makes you then want to work harder for you when they know that you're not going to point the finger at them or bite their head off. And I think that that's a, a really huge thing. But the vice versa of that, as we kind of dig in, is I think one of the biggest mistakes I see business people and real estate investors across the board making that they always look back when I say, hey, what's one of like your biggest regrets? It's almost always, I wish I would have let this person go sooner. It's like a bad relationship. You know, like you hold on, you hold on, then you break up and you meet somebody else. You're like, ah, oh, I wish I would have broke up with her nine months ago. I could have met this person sooner. So what are some things you look for when it's kind of been enough? I know you said like you have clarity, you've explained it enough times. They're not a good culture fit, but is there kind of like a three strikes thing or, you know, like talk a little bit about when you really know it's the right time to let somebody go. Yeah. I think the first time you think it is probably the right time. And it's not about, it's not about the action. It's not about whether or not the person, um, you know, converted the deal. It's about core values, right? It's about, you know, it does, you know, for us, it's growth mindset, accountability, character, and initiative. If I see any of those three things falter multiple times, I know you're not a culture fit. And the only reason I'm hanging on is because in my mind, I'm, I'm, feel like I need to validate that. Wait, maybe I'm doing something wrong because as leaders, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. But the moment you see a core value violation is the moment you need to move on. If it's a tactic or a technique, it can probably be remedied. And you're probably at fault as the leader. You, you need to figure that out. And even if it's a core value violation, you're still at fault as the leader because that guy's on your team. You brought that guy on your team, right? So uh, in my mind, uh, it, it's, it's almost never a tactic. Tactics usually a symptom of something wrong with the core values there. Like this person doesn't have the same growth mindset. What does that mean? Like, oh, he's just not willing to go out and learn that in more detail to execute it effectively without somebody holding his hand. Probably not a good fit for my team. 
I love that, man. That's so well said. Now, flipping over to the real estate side now, talk a little bit about, well, let's dig into what we're talking about teams. Talk about the type of teams that you have. And I'd love to hear about things you do, how often you interact, how, like what tools you use to communicate with them and who's actually underneath you as the CEO of Blackjack. Yeah. Um, so we've got, we've got myself and my director of operations, uh, Ashley, she is detail oriented. She is like my right hand person. She keeps me, uh, she keeps me honest. Uh, then I've got a finance team, <clears throat> which is a bookkeeper and a financial controller, Madison and Tiffany. They're both fantastic. Uh, my dispo guy, my new dispo guy is Matthew. He's just a, he's a go-getter. You know, he's getting after it aggressively. So I love, love working with him. And then I've got Wendy, Travis, and L, who are all acquisitions folks. And I actually just brought on a new guy, Michael. Um, so we've got a pretty robust team there. And then I also have um, six virtual assistants on the team. Six? Is it six? Yeah, it's six. It changes. You know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. But we, we got six on the team, right? Um, I'm, I like, I'm a very personable guy. So we obviously have our company battle rhythm, as we call it in the military, our, our meeting schedule, um, which is a company meeting looks like an L10 meeting from traction kind of thing. And then we have some sales training that I'm intimately involved in. And then we have kind of huddles throughout the week. And uh, we're on Slack and we're, we're communicating on Slack all day, every day with all the transactions that are going on, um, whether we're, we're trying to get a deal across the finish line, getting the seller to show up and sign, or um, you know somebody has a deal they're about to lock up and they're asking other people on the team like, hey, this is how I see the numbers. Can somebody look at this for me? It's just very collaborative. I... I, I live and breathe a hierarchical organization in the military. And frankly, I like a more flat collaborative environment. And I personally like to be involved down to every level. I don't feel like I need to be the CEO that I'm up on a pedestal and they've got to work through Ashley to talk to me. Everybody in my team can talk directly to me. I'm, I will get in and get my hands dirty. I will get on the phone and lock, I lock the deal up on Sunday. I'm not on the sales team, but Hey, a lead came in on a Sunday. I'm gonna take it. The team, the team's off. I don't want to. I don't want to mess with anybody's time. I took the lead. Of course, I gave them the opportunity, you know, because I don't want to take money out of their mouths. But uh, gave them the opportunity. I took it and I locked it up on Sunday. So um, yeah, man. I just I think flat and collaborative. Collaborative. There we go. Um, is kind of my preference, right? I like awesome. to like to have that interaction. You're the second person this week that I've interviewed that's told me that they run their business off of Slack. I started to use it a little bit, but not knowing too much about it, it, it looked like it was all over. I, I joined it and there was already things in place. So it was a little confusing, but you're making me want to dig in a little bit deeper and solve that riddle a little bit because both of you, you and the other guy are both very smart, very successful. It might be something for me to look into. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a messaging platform and it has channels in it. So I'll, I'll tell you exactly what channels are in my Slack right now. Um, for you and for anybody else, I have an acquisitions channel, a dispositions channel, finance general. I got the leadership team. I've got a leads channel where we drop our leads into as they come in. Um, I've got an operations and transaction channel, and then I think it just comes random with a random channel. And then I have a VA general channel, and then I have a VA started day breaks and end of day where my VAs report their start-of-day info, anytime they go on a break in their end-of-day info. 
That's awesome, man. That's huge. I appreciate that. I'm definitely going to pull back and take notes on that one and start to plug those into my Slack as well. As far as VAs, can you talk about some of the things you use them for? Because that's something else I'm digging deeper into that I think is just fascinating. And, you know, I was talking to Gino, um, Gino Palomba, great, great guy out of, uh, out of Atlanta. I don't know if you know him, but he's, he's really big on VAs. And he was talking about how people think because they're a VA or maybe they don't speak great English that they don't really know what they're doing. But when they get on, he's like, they're smarter than all the people that are in this room and you can hire them for an affordable thing and they can literally change your business if you get the right one and train them the right way. And I've been trying to outsource some things to people that obviously you got to go through some, you know, kiss a lot of frogs to get the ones, but which ones are you using and how are you training your VAs for the tasks that you're giving them? Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple models with VAs. You can like hire a company that does the function and manages the VAs. I don't like that. I want them on my team inculcated in my culture. So um, you know, they're just like anybody else on the team. You bring them on the team. They're a person like everybody else on the team. They've got training, heuristics, background, core values, like they've got it all right. Um, they, they would go through the same training that anybody else in the United States would need to go through to do that position. Right. Um, and you're right. They are affordable and they are, some of them are more talented and more educated than we are. So, and here's what's really cool, right? So I had a, I hired a, a cold call virtual assistant a long time ago. She did really well cold calling and we were able to basically double her pay. So a cold caller in the Philippines, typically $4 an hour, right? And that's four times the minimum wage in the Philippines. And we doubled that. And she was able to move up to become a lead manager. We had been paying a US-based lead manager like 40 grand a year. And now we were able to give her life-changing money, bring her on and reduce our company's costs significantly, tens of thousands of dollars. And, and she does a really good job. So um, what's funny, here, here's another kind of misnomer, right? The VA is not going to be effective because they have an accent. Okay, well, the lead intake person that we had in our company before the VA was from another country and came over. And guess what she had? She had an accent. We had no million. We had no problem doing $3 million in profit with her as our lead intake lead manager. And she, of course, she was in the U.S., but she had an accent. So the accent's BS, man. The accent's BS. That's really good info to think about. The, the ask acquisitions part of that. How are you setting it up? What are you, so I know you're using Slack. Are you using, what are you using for like a CRM? What, what are you using for that type of stuff to, to monitor all your KPIs and to, to handle all your leads? Yeah, so we're still on, we're on a Podio. We're on an old Investor Fuse platform. I mean, we've been on it forever. Um, nothing, I don't necessarily love Podio, but <laughs> it, it, it works. And it's one of those things where you've got so much data in there i mean twenty thousand leads in there that to think about having a transition to something new is like a job in and of itself so we haven't really pulled the trigger on anything new but we are using podio um you know we're, we're cold calling we're doing direct mail we, we do online leads as well and um we're cold calling using ready mode web form comes into podio direct mail inbound call through call rail my lead manager and lead intake answer those calls. They enter the lead into Podio and they schedule appointments on Google Calendar, not in Podio for, for our um, acquisitions reps. 
or they'll just drop leads in their buckets for them to call. That's awesome, man. I am in the exact same boat with Podio. I feel like, again, it's, it's one of those relationships like, ah, we've been married 15 years at this point to go out and find somebody new. But it's like, I put so much time into learning how to actually use it. And now that it's there, I'm like, I get it now, but I, I don't love it. My, my friend pointed out, it almost looks like it's how the programmer should be seeing it rather than like we are. I feel like there's got to be a more simplistic way to do it. But uh, it's working for now. It's like you said, though, I just don't have the time to go and relearn another one. People are like, go to left main. I'm like, to redo all that right now, man. I just yeah, don't have it in me. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah, I, t- I t- actually talked to Stephanie like last week about left main. The, the, um, the thing I would say, though, like you're not a CRM away from being successful. Right. I heard Mike Simmons say that once. And I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. We spend a lot of time like, oh, do we have the best CRM is our drip campaign? Like, that's not what makes you successful. That's a tool that can enable you. But if you're just starting out or you're trying to go from two to three deals a month to 10 to 20 deals a month, like it's not the CRM. It's not the CRM is just a tool and, uh, you know, master the one you have be really good at it, grow with it, grow out of it and go to something different if you want, but don't, don't get caught up spending a lot of time on the CRM, which is why like in our company, we're still using Podio, you know, of course I would want something that shows me all my KPIs on a dashboard instead of us putting them into a Google sheet and all that. But yeah, you're not a CRM away from success. That's, that's what I would say. That's great advice. I love that, man. Um, I know you're you're the the marketing guy for your company, so it would be silly for me not talking about talk to you about marketing. So I know you said you're doing cold calling. I've seen you give some really good info on direct mail, which is something I'm looking to dig into a little bit deeper now. But talk a little bit about what you do on the marketing side and what you guys focus on. Yeah, so direct mail. We see direct mail as kind of our foundation, right? Mail's never going to go away. It's just not going to happen. So you know that's a good foundation. Um, you, you don't get the same kind of response rate. I think for a postcard right now, industry standards, about a half of a percent response rate. So if I send out a thousand pieces of mail, I'm only going to get a half percent of that that actually call into the company. Um, so just kind of a one of those signposts for the audience to, to think about when they start sending out mail. Um, some unique things that I, I think we do with mail that are that may be helpful for the audience is um, so w- let's say we pull a list of 40,000 for the month and we mail 10,000, we break it up into 10,000 chunks per week, right? So that it's manageable for the lead intake calls. Okay. We send the mail out on Friday so that it hits the mailboxes on Monday. Why? Because that's like the work week and that's when we want to answer the phones. So it hits the mailboxes on Monday and we can start taking those calls and working those leads all week. Another thing we do is we, we take those chunks of that list and we upload them into PropStream and we monitor them every week for some of the junk that might be on there. So you'll see things pop up as sold or on MLS or bank owned or auction. Like I'm not going to waste money marketing to those. So I'll remove those ones out of my list. Um, I also, when you get returned mail, you got to have a game plan for return mail. So you have a box that it goes to, you go get it. If it gets returned, you want to skip trace it, see if you can get an upgraded, updated address, put it back in the cycle. If not, don't send mail to it because it's already been returned. It'll save you some money. Um, and then opt-outs, make sure you're tracking when people call in and say, take me off your list. And then you take those off your list as well. So there's like a, uh, marketing 101 on cleaning a direct mail list 
at least as far as how we do it. Maybe, maybe somebody does it better. I don't know. If they do, let me know. That's awesome, man. It mail's an interesting one because I feel like every time I'm going to go pull the trigger on it, somebody else pops up and mail's dead. But then, you know, usually it's because they have like an SMS company or you know something like that that's contradictory. But I think what you said, it's almost like with the CRM. People that are listening to this and they're like, well, what do I do? You know, do I start going becoming a realtor or do I start cold calling? Do I start direct mail or do I start PPC? It all works. It's just a matter of what are you going to focus on and then the tracking it. And I think those those processes and those systems you put in place is what makes that a successful model. And I think if you just choose a bunch of them and then figure like, I'm not going to track anything. I'm just going to mail some stuff, make some calls and then hope the phone rings. It's never going to work like that. And I know earlier you said you're not a details guy, but those seem like very detailed processes. How yeah. are you documenting those processes? Is that like kind of what you're doing as you're going through making a standard operating procedure? And then that becomes like a, a, a recorded document that goes down the line for the next person. Yes. Yeah, so I, I just a recommendation that I personally believe in. Don't create a long narrative SOP. Create a checklist. And so what I have is a checklist. And then for each step, there's a Loom video associated. So Loom is a platform where you can screen record and walk people through the thing you're doing. So like step one is X. Here's the video on X. Okay, I need to do X. I watch the video. I do X. Okay, step two. I watch the video. I do X. So we just have a checklist of exactly how you do it. So anybody should be able to pick it up, follow the checklist, watch the videos and execute the task. That's awesome, man. And then with the with training your acquisitions teams, I know you also said that you have a sales meetings and huddles and stuff. How often and like, is there a specific times of days or things like that that you're meeting with them to touch base to discuss what's happening with them, what's going on with their leads, where they need help or just running different parts of the script. They're going over different things that they're working on that they can have some maybe collaboration with you on. Yeah, I, I, so we have a sales training meeting every week, once a week. We're, we're constantly talking about different leads or uh, we've got such a good environment where like a, yesterday, Mac was interrupt, like, hey, can you listen to this call and give me some feedback? Like, okay, sure, man. That would, you know, Al, whatever you need, brother. And then, Every Thursday night, what we'll do is we'll either look at underwriting on like, you know, ARV and the analysis, or we'll go through calls. I try to listen to two sales calls a day. That way I'm kind of like picking up trends and then we can have that conversation. But it's not just me coaching. It's the other sales reps too, who are like, oh, you should have asked the question this way. Or, oh, you should have, you know, identified the deal killer this way. So it, it's really collaborative and, and there's a lot of, you know, smarter people than me in there. So it's, it's really useful. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. That's awesome, man. I think that that's a great outline. Two calls a day is something that's manageable. 
and you listen to two calls a day of one person, you got 10 calls a week in there, you're going to get an idea for what they're saying right and wrong. So that's very good. So somebody can take that away right now and go use that. I think that that's excellent advice. And going into just the exit strategies now, I know you talked a little bit about like syndication stuff, some rentals, some wholesale, some hotel. Overall, what types of deals are you guys taking down? And then I'd love to get into um, a story about a deal you guys are currently doing the breakdown for the audience. Yeah, so we're, we're doing, we're primarily wholesaling our deals and um, we're getting some really great deals. We just assigned a deal for at 30, we assigned it at 36% of the ARV, which was really awesome. It was a good deal. Tough tenants though, tough tenants. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we basically underwrite using three models and this is all for wholesaling. Here's, here's what's interesting. So everybody knows what the cash hammer is in wholesaling, right? ARV times 70% minus repairs minus wholesale fee gives you your max allowable offer. Everybody knows the cash hammer. We also underwrite for buy and holds using a 2% rule so that we can wholesale a buy and hold property to our buy and hold buyers. So we have a different kind of uh, group in our buyer pool that just wants to buy buy and holds and they can buy cash, right? So we underwrite it at a 2% rule to see if it makes sense. What we've been doing recently is using AirDNA to also underwrite in a similar model what that property might do as an Airbnb. And if you took the same property and underwrote it all three, three ways, you might come up with three different max allowable offers. So an example is maybe you couldn't get, maybe you're 10 grand apart from the seller and they're just really hard on that number. But if you grab it as an Airbnb or a buy and hold, maybe you can pay 10 grand more, still make your minimum wholesale fee. Um, so it just makes it really powerful. And then every now and then we'll come across a property that's in pretty good condition that just makes sense to buy it. Um, and we bought a property in an, in an okay area, not great area for a hundred thousand dollars cash. We came in, we paid cash for it. Um, we sent cleaners to the property, literally 300 bucks, clean out the property, deep clean it. And then we listed it on the MLS and we got it on the exit contract for $175,000. Um, so we're able to just like take it down, clean it out, put it on the MLS, which is a much bigger buyer pool, right? That can use financing and then uh, sell it for $75,000 more than we bought it for. Congrats, man. I think that that's awesome. And, and that really, I think, is one of my favorite strategies right now. So you mentioned a couple of things I definitely want to ask you about, but that specific wholesale strategy, whatever's going on right now, I know people are, are worried about the, the bottom dropping out, but- Right now, in most markets, there is a supply and demand issue. And if you can get something that's in even like half decent shape and get it in there that it's going to, you know, it's, it's whatever, whoever's going to come along, the house is going to be in condition to apply and get approved for conventional financing. You're going to get over asking price in most markets and, and pretty quick. And I, I think that that whole tail model is huge because, you know, investors might want to cut you down a little bit because they have to have some properties. People that are just looking for a home because they had to relocate because of COVID or whatever happened that they're downsizing. I mean, that to me is, is absolutely huge. When you're doing that, a specific question is, are you closing on it before you put it back on? Or are you doing like a wholesale hybrid with the wholesale? Because there's times that I'll, I'll take them down and then put them on the MLS. And there's other times that the second they say yes, I'm putting them on the MLS during the clean out and I have an offer before I'm even done. Yeah, so we've just been buying them, just paying, you know, closing on the property and posting them. Um, but yeah, we, we do have some, because we're in five markets. We've got, 
um, we do have some partner agents who will list a wholesale deal, not something I haven't closed on, on the MLS for us. And they'll obviously include the right verbiage on there, like this is an assignable contract or whatever. But yeah, there, there are sometimes we can just take a wholesale deal and instead of sending out to our buyers list, we can put it onto the MLS. Uh, so Excellent. we do do that sometimes as well. But in this particular case, we purchased the property, closed on it, and then put it on the MLS. So breaking that one down, where did you find that deal? What marketing channel did that come in from? That deal came in from direct mail. Nice. So for people listening, that's an inbound. They're calling you. So it's like if you're, you can go to the bar and you can ask at every girl on the bar, or you can mail a bunch of stuff out and sit home and then the phone rings. It's a, it's usually a better lead in theory. So um, they called you. They're a little bit more motivated. They're asking you to buy their home. And then obviously you're just running the numbers and you're seeing that I can put X amount in to clean this out, close on it, and then um, throw it back on the MLS and get that closed out. What are you using to take that down as far as financing? Uh, so just private lending. So raising, raising money from private investors, which, you know, you'll pay anywhere from eight to 12 to 15%, depending on what you have. And, it, you know, for private investors, you know, there's like, if you're going to do a flip and you're going to hold that thing for four five, six, seven, eight months to flip it, you know, you want to, you want to get a, a rate around 8%. But if you're going to, if I need money fast and I know I'm not going to, I'm going to hold it for maybe 60 days, I'm, I'm okay paying 12 or 15%. Like, I, I don't really care because the deal's that good. I'm going to, you know, if you want to make two, three grand, four grand on it, that's great too. Cause I'm, we're still going to make a ton of money on it. Right. The deal's got to support what it costs to use the money. Absolutely, man. And then what did the, what did the days on market look like once you listed that? How fast did you get an offer on it and how fast did they close or are they closing? Oh man. Days on, it was probably on the market for less than a week. <sighs> that's Honestly. Awesome. And, and it's not, let me just, because like people are like, that's how could you get a, it's not, it's in good condition. It's not like flipped. It's just in good condition. Didn't really need anything. Uh, I mean, there were a couple cabinets for some reason that weren't hung, but I didn't even put the cabinets up. I just listed it as is. And it passed an inspection, uh, you know, it, it, it appraised. It was just in good condition. These people just wanted to get out of it. Now, it wasn't this beautiful property in the best neighborhood. So I think that's where, where people get kind of caught up of like, oh, I don't want to buy it because it's not something I would buy. Well, don't worry about you. Worry about what somebody else is going to buy it for on the other end. That's such great info. And I think, like you said, that mindset, if they only want those pretty houses or they think that, well, nobody's ever, why would anybody want to just walk away from a house like that? But that's why it's just a numbers game with the marketing. You talk to enough people, there are those people out there that are just going to be like, look, take it, whatever it is. And, and that's your day, man. And those, those do come along. So it's just a little bit of a, you know, having that patience. But I think for people that maybe are looking to jump in to real estate or they're trying to figure out the benefits there, just that one deal that you talked about when you're basically buying it for a hundred, I know there's some costs and things that go into it, but then you're selling it for 175. That could be the average year salary for some people in this country off of just that one deal. And if you just did that one, supplemented that, and now that allows you to stay home full-time and focus on deals two, three, and four, that's enough that could change your life right there, man. So I love hearing about that. And I also want people, if you're watching this on YouTube, to see you weren't like freaking out or jumping around and doing cartwheels. You could tell it 
it's just another day. It's just another transaction. So it's not like that's the one Hail Mary deal that you made money on this year. You're talking about, you know, looking at a million dollars. So I just, I get excited when somebody just breaks down and this is just a basic deal. This is just what we did. Anybody can do this. It's just using these systems and processes. So I definitely appreciate you sharing that. I had one more follow-up question on that. I know you talked about running the 2% rule, which I think is really smart. When you're uh, dispoing these deals out and selling them off to your investors, are you basically saying, okay, this is a good rental. I'm going to shoot it out to everybody. Or are you specifically only sending it out to people that you know you've talked to that said, I only want rentals in this market that hit these specific metrics? No, uh, you know, there, there's marketing in general, just marketing. Get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible, right? If you think, I talked to my district guy about this. Him and I have been talking a lot. Like in our company, Blackjack, we have massive buyers lists in our market. So like we've got people who've done a bunch of deals with us. Well, there's no special treatment. There's new flippers coming into the game every day, every week, and they can pay different prices. And there's people who are coming in from California who all of a sudden want to buy buy and hold rentals, or you just never know. So we send it out to everybody. Now we have a buyer's list for that particular market that you can sign up for. We have multiple buyer's lists per our markets, but we're going to send it out to that whole buyer's list. And we're going we're gonna to show the value. We don't tell you, we don't put the ARV on there and we don't put our repair costs because it's not that we don't do it and underwrite it well. It's just that it doesn't ever, there's never anything good that comes of that. Nobody ever responds and goes, hey, you guys did a great job with your four comps that are like super well done and your ARV spot on. <laughs> no, they go, I don't agree with your ARV. And it's like, okay, well, we looked at it as critically as we possibly could. We don't inflate anything. And then when it comes to repair costs, it's impossible to satisfy. We get investors that call us that may offer us 30 grand below what we're asking. And they've flipped hundred deals. And then when I have them walk me through their costs, their costs are just different. And this investor over here has much better cost on this property. So he can pay more and still make a ton of money. So it's just, you just never know what people can pay based on, their ability to rehab it, the people on their team, there's just so many factors. So we send it out to everybody. We just talk about what the value is. This is a great buy and hold. Here's what the numbers look like. Market rent, or it's currently rented for $1,995. Market rent's $2,200. It can Airbnb for $2,600 to $4,100, depending on how you rent it out. And then we'll take that AirDNA analysis and we'll include that. Like, you know, instead of just clicking on the pictures, you can also click on the AirDNA analysis. Man, that's such a great breakdown. I'm really happy you did that. That makes so much sense. I, I agree with that. Marketing, it's a commercial. You want your commercial in front of as many people that you can see it because that's going to translate better. And I think exactly like you're saying, people people want they don't want to take action until they get a silver bullet answer for but like, but how do I know exactly what this costs or exactly? And when it comes to repairs and it comes to ARV, I like that you said that because sometimes it is more of an art than a science because there's so many other things that go into it. So it, it's just about learning a little bit about those conversations and learning those models. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I, I want to make sure we get to talk about how Flip Hacking Live, which is coming up next week. So, um, and I, I believe you guys have them a couple of times over the year. They were virtual, now they're coming up. But talk a little bit about you. How do people work with you? What kind of things are you working on? Is your company working on? Like, what are you excited about in the next three to six months? Yeah, one, one of the things that I love about Blackjack is we have a really great joint venture program. And our power is we've got this massive buyers list. So 
what's cool about us is we will we will never take more than 10 grand and let me tell you why this is important right so we will go 50 50 up until 10 grand so if you have a thirty thousand dollar fee we, we're not going to take 15 grand we're only going to take up to 10 grand so we'll be 50 50 up to 10 grand no more what's cool is there's a difference so if a new guy's got 300 buyers on their list and they're hustling that dispo he might only be able to get fifteen thousand dollars for the deal if he comes over to us and we send it out, we might be able to get $40,000 for the deal. And if we only take 10 grand, he doubled his profit JVing with us. And that's actually happened. Uh, we did have that happen with one investor where we sent it out and got him like 40 grand more than he would have gotten on his own. So we do have a great JV program. Um, you can reach out to my disc, Dispo guy. It's Matthew at blackjackre.com. If you have deals, he he'll look at them and if you want to partner up, we, we love helping other people and it's, it's just good all around. That's outstanding, man. And then how do people find you? Uh, do you prefer Instagram, email, Facebook? I'm on the IG, uh, except for yesterday when, yeah, we yeah. <laughs> when we were all productive for six hours. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I'm on uh, Instagram, official Adam Whitney, official just because Adam Whitney wasn't available. So official Adam Whitney on Instagram. And you said something early on, Nick. Uh, one of my kind of principles is that I will help anybody. I've never said no to anybody. Now it might take me a little while to get back, but every single person who's ever reached out to me to ask me anything can be the simplest thing. I've always made sure I try to bring them value. So I do, I do try to bring as much value as I can because so many people have done it for me. So many people have answered my dumb questions along the way or, you know, reach their hand back to pull me up and, and help me move forward. And I feel like that's what my, it's my responsibility to give back to the community in that same way. I absolutely love that, man. And I very much appreciate it. And I see you doing it and you're a class act, man. This, this has been absolutely awesome. Um, a couple of final things here. One of them is I, I can't let you go being a, a Marine and a military guy without asking if you have any experience doing some jujitsu. Uh, I, honestly, I not, not like uh, formally trained, but I do have like a lot of my friends do jujitsu. So, uh, you know, it's always frustrating to, to, to roll with somebody who's like super talented. I got one buddy and, and I'll be on the ground rolling with him, and I don't have very much skill, but I'm strong and I'm over here trying to muscle him. And he's like very calmly putting me into something and he's talking to me and I'm like, dude, stop talking to me. And I'm trying to hurt him. <laughs> And he's just super calm. And the next thing you know, I'm like pretzeled and everything is hurt. All my joints are hurting. I don't understand what's going on. So um, no, I, I haven't I haven't committed to training in jujitsu, but I do like to roll with people just because it's it's fun and uh, and I'm not very talented. So if you wanna if you're skilled and you wanna just you know come roll with somebody who will give make you try to work out a little bit, that would be me. I just won't <laughs> win. Where where are you located? Uh, right now, I'm in um, Stafford, Virginia, just south of D.C., Quantico area. I uh, just moved from California. Nice, man. I'll, I'll try and see if I have any uh, any good guys over there. I'll set you up with some some good jiu-jitsu guys that you could trust over there that might be able to help you out when you have some downtime. Yeah, man. Awesome. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he has also endorsed 
by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. Excellent, man. And, uh, you know, last but certainly not least, I, I like to follow up with a couple of just final questions I call the victory lap. One of them being, do you have a favorite quote? Ooh, man, let's see. Uh, it, it's, it's really not, I'm just gonna, I just wanna say something because there's a ton of great quotes out there. If your listeners are like interested in doing this, but they haven't for some reason, like take action, learn from it, and then take smarter action. Like just do those three things and you're gonna be fine. Take action, learn from it, take smarter action. Repeat that cycle as many times as you can. I love that, man. And uh, I've, I've heard you mention some books that you like to read, but do you have something that uh, is kind of sticking out to you right now as, as like a must-read book? Yeah, from a leadership perspective, if you haven't read the book Legacy, you absolutely have to read it. It's uh, the All Blacks. It's about a, like a um, rugby team. It, it's probably the best leadership book out there, in my opinion. That's awesome, man. I'm going to check that out. I haven't heard that one yet. And uh, last but certainly not least, what advice would you give a young Adam Whitney today starting out? Uh, go take action faster. Do it <laughs> sooner. I wish I would have done it sooner. And, uh, you know, for various reasons, it didn't work out that way. But yeah, man, I, you know, just do it. Just do it. And that, that you get set on a path and you enjoy the journey while you're doing it, the ups and the downs and as long as you enjoy the journey, I guarantee you, you're going to be successful. That's awesome, man. This has been really fun. You gave a ton of really great mindset stuff, tactical stuff, real estate stuff. I thought it was full of information, full of nuggets and full of inspiration. So I really appreciate it. Thank you again for your service. And I really look forward to meeting you in the next week or two out in uh, where are we going, Florida. So I'll put all the links for anybody listening for everything related to Adam and his company, all the social media links. You can definitely find them through there. Any final thoughts before I let you go today? Man, just thanks for having me on, dude. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. Thanks for coming on, man. I'm really looking forward to it. I can't thank you enough for agreeing to come on and do this and for helping everybody online. Thank you very much. You definitely bring your A-game. Adam Whitney, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day.